Hello and welcome to Mac Bytes, episode 64. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host, Elaine Giles. And in this episode... iBooks, iBooks, iBooks! Yes, it's a world first. A podcast in an iBook. Yeah, you've been very busy, haven't you, this week? I have. In fact, I've been very busy since iBooks author was announced. Um, but particularly this week. Uh, first off, it was just seeing what it could do. And then I got the idea of what we needed was MacBytes the iBook. And I've been working on it ever since. Now, you might think, well, two or three pages, how long can it take? It sort of grew, didn't it? It grew and grew and grew. I'm afraid it did, yes. And it's touching 100 pages now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like war and peace. But very well worth it. It's been um, an interesting learning curve, which I shall go into much more detail about later. And yes, you can download MacBytes the iBook. We will put a link in the show notes. We certainly will. Uh, but to uh, to go back to a few things from last week, we discussed uh, revels, didn't we? We did. Well, it was Adobe Revel or Revel, depending on your point of view. Yes, and I interjected with Revels the Sweets and uh, I found a link and I didn't you ask about nuts? I did. Yes, well, they do contain nuts. I thought they must do. That's why I've never eaten them. I was going to sing them, but I won't. No, please don't. So they are not so hazelnuts. No, no, wrong sweets. Uh, that's but they're still around, is what you're saying. They're still with us. Yes. But possibly only UK. I don't know, actually. We, sh- we shall ask our Australian contingent and our US contingent. Revels. Can bit, you buy them? Bit like Jaffa cakes, so they're probably quite rare down under. Oh, don't mention the Jaffa cakes. <laughs> They'll have them crying in the aisles. Yes. Bit of a shortage at the moment, from what I read. We also heard this week from Bob DeGrand and David Allen, who suggested uh, Amadeus Pro as an alternative to Soundtrack Pro for the editing of the podcast. Yes, um, I've got Amadeus Pro. I've had it for many years and I love it. I haven't ever thought of using it to edit the show, though. Um, I use it to edit individual audio files. um, And the only other one that I've used is Sound Studio, which is also very, very good. But I don't it can do multi-track. I just don't use it in that way. So maybe I need to have another look at that. But I've actually made my decision. So uh, more on that in a future show. But it is mentioned in MacBytes the iBook. So a sneak peek of my final decision. But I'll, I'll um, go into more detail on another show. Because this one's going so well so far, isn't it? <coughs> my little Dalek friend. <laughs> Yes, we had a bit of a catastrophe prior to recording. Uh, I'll put that in the outtake, shall I? Yes, I think you should. Yeah, I sort of sounded like a cross between R2-D2 and a Dalek, didn't I? Exterminate, exterminate. I have no idea what went on there. So I'm not risking it by herring off on, on a tangent about um, audio editing. No, I, I must stick I must stick to the script. We did fix it, though. And how did we fix it? We turned it off and turned it on again. Yes, and now it's working for the moment, but get on with it before it's not. (laughs) Yes, uh, hard drive prices. Um, How many hard drives do we need here? Because uh, we're going to need a mortgage at this rate. Well, they keep sort of dropping off the end, don't they? Luckily, I bought some extras, but uh, we're going through them as they die with alarming regularity. And the prices are not getting much better. Um, so it was a piece that I read saying that um, it could have far-reaching effects even going into next year. And the prices at the moment are just about double what they were four or five months ago. So I could really do with them coming down sooner rather than later. But also on the hard drive front, there was news of um, something nice from Seagate. 
And that is um, a Thunderbolt plinth for their 2.5 inch and desktop GoFlex series. Now, I've got some of these drives and you've actually got one as well, haven't I've you? I've got one as well. Mm. They are the, well, the ones we've got are the des desktop versions. So they're sort of a black black drive, vertical, and they sit on a plinth. Uh, the one that comes with it is USB, USB 2. But you can buy extra sort of stands for it so that you, you pretty much change the connection to a connection that you want. So I've actually purchased extra, I think for all of them. Um, I've got a drawer full of USB 2 ones because I've bought Firewire 800 plinths for them all. And they're around the £25 mark, which does add to the price, but the speed increase is worth it, to be honest. So uh, that's what I've done with them. But they're now going to bring out a Thunderbolt plinth, which was something that was talked about as being a really good idea. Because if you get a drive and it's got all the ports on it and they bring out a new port then you're stuck with an old one. You may even have to ditch the drive if the computer that you move to doesn't have that particular port. So um, I know one of my machines has got Firewire 400, but the new ones don't, so then you need a different cable. So uh, what Seagate have done, quite forward thinking, they'll sell you one with a standard plinth and then you buy the plinth you want. So I thought, that's brilliant. I was really waiting for that because I'd got these drives and I thought, Thunderbolt, it's just, it's just meant to be. They've got to bring them out. So they're bringing them out um, at a price. I'm glad I was sat down when I saw the price because all it is is a plastic base with a connector on it. And I know Thunderbolt is going to be more expensive, but at £200, I thought that was possibly pushing it a bit. So I'll just pick myself up off the floor now. <laughs> I, I won't tell you how many of these drives we've got, which would all need one, obviously. Yes, they can't share one. Let's not go there, shall we? Mm, but that would certainly add to the cost somewhat. But um, I, I'd like one to try it. So uh, we'll just leave it there. I'll just leave that hanging there for you. I'd like one to try it. Luckily, the desktop versions aren't available yet. I think the 2.5-inch version is, but not the desktop. And I don't have a Seagate GoFlex 2.5. I could always buy one, though. No, no, we won't go there. Yeah, I'm going to move on to something that doesn't involve money, actually. Oh, spoil sport. Yes, it was a discussion we had with uh, Carrie and Andy Mallins about scrolling. Yes, I asked for feedback on natural scrolling and who was using it and who wasn't. And Carrie said she just doesn't like the new natural scrolling in line, so she turned it off. I didn't like it at first, but I sort of got used to it. Um... But Andy takes the opposite view and says that he's used to it now. So um, it's natural, or at least that's what Apple says. And if Apple says, well, it must be. Well, I'm used to it now on, uh, well, I've got one line machine and um, I've also got scroll reverser on the Snow Leopard machine. So uh, I'm used to it as well. Do you know, I, part of me thinks that I actually put scroll reverser on my Snow Leopard machines because I didn't move to Lion until just before Christmas. Just so it felt new and shiny <laughs> like Lion. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I, I think I thought, well, you know, you're going to have to move eventually, so you might as well get used to it. Plus the fact it makes it feel shiny and new. So um, I did it that way to try and get used to it. But I can understand both points of view. Um, the half of me thinks I've used it for so long, I don't want to. And then the other half thinks I'll just get used to it. So I got used to it. Andy got used to it. You got used to it. Carrie's holding out. Way to go, girl. <laughs> Hold out. If Apple changed their mind, she's going to be laughing all the way home. As we have to relearn again. Mm, I don't think they'll change their mind now, actually. I think it's it's the, the natural way of working. Well, you'd think so, but I shall return to that later as well. <laughs> Hold that thought. Now, O2 were in the news as well this week, weren't they, with uh, leaking phone numbers? That was a bit of a catastrophe, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. 
I don't know how they managed to get themselves into such a mess. Um, pretty much they'd run some maintenance was their story and it led to um, an unforeseen consequence which was if you were browsing on their 3G network um, they sent your phone number in plain text to the site you were browsing. Not good at any time. To be honest, my phone number's all over the place anyway, but that's not the point. Yes, but mine isn't. Um, we discussed this the other day in relation to something, didn't we? And um, I worked out that the, there was you and my father, who has my mobile <laughs> number. And I think my mum's got it written down somewhere and that's it. So uh, I would be very, very annoyed about that. Luckily for me, I think um, this was happening for about two weeks. And luckily for me, I don't think I was on their 3G network. Um, interesting, I thought, though, because we mentioned this in the last show, that both of us had problems with O2 for a week. Yeah, well, that was when we had, like, um, a, a signal of a bar of one, wasn't it? Yes, but it makes me wonder what the maintenance was. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So they have fixed it, and um, I'm not sure if they've apologised, actually, but I think that's terrible. I think they did. They also said they that um, in, in their you know, snivelling apology, as it were, um, that they share your number with their trusted partners. Or untrusted partners. Sounds more like advertisers <laughs> to me. Yeah, and people de deliberately and directly asked them who these trusted partners were and that they didn't get an answer. So um, everything's all fixed and tickety-boo according to O2 now, but um, I think it's terrible they can actually do that. Um, I, I wish there was some way that your phone number was your sacrosanct phone number and should never be passed around like that. It shouldn't mm. be able to be revealed like that. It just shouldn't be allowed. Yeah, I know a, I know a guy I used to work with who literally... I mean, most of us at work give out our phone number to, to each other, but he... Although he gave me his phone number, he, he turned it off. He said, it, you know, it's my phone number. And he even turned his data off. Um, so, you know, goodness knows what, what he'd think of this. Well, you know my feeling about giving out your personal mobile number to colleagues. <laughs> I do, and uh, you don't like it. Well, no, because they're apt to use it. When was the last time you had even one day off and they didn't ring you? Uh, can't remember. Exactly. Yes, I don't like that. They're, they're, they're very lucky they've not got me answering it. They are. Or they'd be put right. Well, you pay the bill. Yeah. You pay the bill. So I'm, I'm very protective of my mobile yes. number and I'm not pleased with O2. Rock Riley Giles. Yes. <laughs> really? <laughs> That'll stick if you're not careful. <laughs> also from the sort of um, silly school of news. Because I thought this was a bit odd, but you, you weren't too bad with it. And is that this is the that, um, thing? It's the Dixon story that they have appointed as their SVP of retail. Well, not Dixon's. Apple have appointed <laughs> as their SVP of retail John Browett. Doesn't mean a thing, does it? No. Until you learn that he is currently at Dixon's. And they are hoping to take him to Apple to um, create a good retail experience. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people on, on Twitter who've been dissing it and saying, have you ever been in a, a Dixon store? But I I, I personally don't think he'll, he'll go and, and, you know, put all the iPads in glass cases, which is what you see in Dixon's when you go in with all the, the cameras in glass cases. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'm sure he'll have some good ideas, but he won't want to bring the the bad ideas because the customers won't like it. Well, yes, but I don't think he really cares. That's the problem. I mean, where he's if you say he's, he'd have good ideas and you know he'll he'll learn the Apple way. Why are they taking somebody on who has to learn a different way? And why are they taking somebody on with a track record like that? Because Dixon's aren't they online only now? 
I, I thought they'd know. gone under in the high street a couple of years back. I think they did, but they they're, they're part of the group that own PC World and and well, say no more. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, is this supposed to make me feel better in some way? Because that's also a terrible retail experience. I did all right last time I went in PC World. Yes, I know, but that was for iTunes vouchers. Yes. Yes, but generally well, they speaking, they had iMacs and things, and I stroked them. Yes, but generally speaking, an experience in PC World is not good. True. It certainly doesn't True. tempt you to. It's it's just not the Apple way. No, it's it's not. It's you know, it's like um, the difference between an Oxfam shop and Harrods. It's it's the high the high pressure sales, isn't it? In PC World. Well, it's high pressure, but they also never know what they're talking about. In fact, the last time I was allowed in PC World was when I was looking for a broadband router in 2001. Do you remember that conversation and how well that went? No, but I'm sure you'll remind me. Oh, I will. Yes, we went in and it was um, just at the very beginning of sort of broadband even being available. And you were hard pushed to find... um, an external modem, you know, a, 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 a well, you could get, you know, 56K modems, etc. But you it, you were hard pushed to find a device that would connect you to broadband. Um, the ones that were there were internal cards and they didn't work with NT4. And I had an NT4 network at the time. So I'm stood looking at all this stuff and I started asking questions. You know, he came across, how can I help you? So I asked some questions and don't you remember what happened? No. He turned to you and gave you the answers. Oh, yes, I remember. Yes. And then that other lady came up with her husband, if you remember, and she started talking to me, and we were both the technical side, and the guy was answering to you and he was answering to her husband. And in the end, the guy said, I don't know what you're talking to me for because I don't know what, I understand a word you're saying. <laughs> so, a terrible, terrible experience. I disagree with you. I, I think that could come back and bite them. I know that um, Tim has come out and said, Tim Cook, um, that he has every confidence in him, which sounds suspiciously like um, the director of a football club. vote of confidence, yes. Yes, a vote of confidence, which isn't good, considering he's not even started yet. I don't understand why you would take somebody on whose track record isn't exemplary to start with, because if he had any good ideas, surely he'd have deployed them at Dixon's. And if he hasn't got the authority to to deploy them at Dixon's, why are you taking him on to do that at Apple? No, I don't think that's a very good idea at the moment, but we shall see. Now, yes, the demise is at Google. Continue a pace. You couldn't make it up. I don't go looking for these, you know. I just see them in my feeds. Yes, we know that Wave is dead. Go on, you can you can do your little song. Right, that'll do. But um, we also know that Buzz is dead and Google Labs and something called Google Health, which I haven't heard heard about. No, I hadn't. But now Picnic has joined the party, as it were. Picnic, or we discussed Picnic a long time ago. It was a web-based photo editor, and they got bought out by Google two years ago. And they did offer the service, and it was a paid-for service, which is most unlike Google. Um, and it's um, sunsetting. Sunsetting. Well, that isn't the word they use, <laughs> but that's what they meant. <laughs> yes, killed, dead. Yes, going. The features are going to be added to Google+. Plus. Have you noticed whenever they kill something, the features are going to be added to Google+. Plus? <laughs> yes. They're going to end up with just one service, Google+. Plus. But in addition to Picnic's sad demise, because it was a good editor, that, I thought they'd add the features to... Um, was it Picasso? I was just about to say Picasso. 
Um, well, that's the I, I, did a, I did a webinar on it about three years ago. I had to go back and look up what the product was because I've forgotten. <laughs> oh. I, knew that, I knew they had a graphic and a photo editor thing. Well, I think when they bought it, that was what they said, that they would uh, merge the features of the two and create, you know, wonderful product. Da, da, da. Anyway, it's gone. So that's another one down. But um, in the same um, notice of death, as it were, were mentioned social graph. No idea what that is. Google message continuity. Now, with a name like that, how could it fail? Mm. But it has. They've killed that as well. Something called urchin. <laughs> you know, you would think I was making these up, wouldn't you? And uh, Google Sky Maps for Android. Never heard of it. No, never heard of that <laughs> either. So I'm not actually surprised about the majority of those. But uh, Picnic, I thought, was quite a, a sad demise. They will buy these services that really they're not only just useful but people are actually using them and then they transfer people across which probably means that you need a google account so that so in effect you're buying customers and then you terminate them so uh, another one two three four five gone this week not a record but getting there google <laughs> but um if the demise of the google services has you worried fear not microsoft have got you covered Yes, if you've got nothing to play with in the summer, the beta of Office 15 is due out late summer. I You're can't excited. wait. Well, I would think, why are you talking about that on a Mac-related podcast? But I will remember what happened when the beta of Windows 7 came out. I could not believe the number of Mac people that were following me on Twitter who hit the servers to download it instantly. I was not interested in the slightest. And they were all rushing off. You know who you are. You bad, bad lot. I'm playing with it. I wasn't interested. So, will you be partaking of this? Will I? Mm. Uh, I could well be. I'm a closet softy. Really? Yes. <laughs> I'm saying nothing. <laughs> well, we could play with this sandboxed infusion. Good idea. Keep it well away from anything important. Mm, excellent but idea. I, I can't, I just can't muster any enthusiasm for it at all. So I think I'll leave it alone, but I'm sure you'll have a dabble with it. I will. And you can report back then. Okay, well, big news of this week for me was uh, the fact I lied earlier on because I talked about my Snow Leopard machine and one machine uh, having Lion. In fact, I've upgraded my main MacBook Pro to Lion this week. and uh, Hang on! Drum roll. No, thank you. It's been a while. It has been a while, and the um, the, the 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 thing that kicked me into action was the iBooks author, which we're going to talk about uh, shortly. The uh, the upgrade actually went fairly painlessly. Um, it That's was, because I had you covered. You did have me covered. Mm. But it was when I started to using it that I started to using it. Started using it. <laughs> that was the same time everybody else had trouble with Lion. <laughs> yes. I, when I started using it, I hit problems. And the first if you problem, just sat there and looked at it, it would be fine. The first problem I had was um, it had put the FaceTime icon in the dock. And I wanted to drag it off. I didn't want it on the dock. So I dragged it off and you know I got a little puff of smoke. And then I let go of the, the, the mouse and the icon just sat there hovering on my desktop with the little mouse pointer underneath it. And no matter what I did, you know, clicking away, pressing escape, nothing would actually uh, get rid of it. So it was as if this icon was just floating around. Now, I did eventually manage to get rid of it. I think you, you 
double click or you press escape and click or something like that and it just the equivalent of the masonic handshake yes but it just went back straight to the dock so i've tried it again a couple of times it still wouldn't have it so i ended up just doing a right click and saying remove from dock which was fine but then a little bit later on i needed to drag a a file off my desktop into a folder in finder and i just dragged the file and again it was it was stuck it wouldn't drop the file the icon into the finder window it was just floating with the um the mouse pointer resting on it unusually it was the same with desktop sharing as well remote desktop yeah which is unusual because they use two different mouse um not exactly drivers but i've had problems with a mouse on a machine that's actually you know physically attached to it or wirelessly attached to it and if you do it with remote desktop it's fine and vice versa you know the mouse works on the machine but not via remote desktop but you were getting exactly the same symptoms with both yeah i tried two mice i um shut down steer mouse i tried my trackpad that's built into the macbook pro and it was still having the same problem so i did some googling and i i i i'll put a link to this on the show notes in case anyone else has the problem but there was a lot of people coming up with a lot of different suggestions uh but the one that worked for me which was the one that a lot of people um suggested was uninstalling iDisplay which is that software that it's the one that turns your ipad into a third monitor doesn't it yes i found that quite useful although i don't didn't use it a lot it was handy to have yeah, well, I think I'd rather have uh, a working Mac than uh, than the alternative. Well, luckily for me, when I went to Lion, it was a new machine and I didn't have that on it and I hadn't installed it. So that was why I wasn't seeing it. But it's not great, is it? It's not. And then the other problem I had was I um, I changed the screen resolution because I wanted to, to record a video at, uh, at 1280 by 720. And then when I went to change it back... I brought up the the list in in preferences and I looked at the bottom of the list and I thought I clicked on it and then I thought that's not the right resolution it looks weird and when I went back in of course the resolutions now in preferences on Lion are in the other order the the ascending order or descending order so the higher resolution is at the top of the list. I Which has, it has really annoyed you, hasn't it? Well, I automatically click at the bottom of the list. You know, I don't even look at the resolutions. I know which one in the list is the one is my normal resolution. I just click on it. I don't even read that it's, you know, whatever this it, this by this pixels. And it just it just threw me. It's like the finder list now with the, the things reversed. But uh, I'm getting there. I hadn't even noticed, and I do change my resolution because, like you, I record um, how-to videos. So I do change it, and I hadn't even noticed. So you will get used to it. It's like natural scrolling. Yeah. The other thing was, um, talking about natural scrolling, when I first had put Lion on, the natural scrolling wasn't working, and I realised, because I'd done an over-the-top, I still had scroll reverser working. <laughs> Which was reversing the reverse. Was, yes, it was negating it. Oh, nice try. I didn't tell you. But you're all sorted out now, are you? I am. I'm all sorted. Oh, that's good. Because tonight, 10.7.3 has been released with promises of fixing the Wi-Fi wake from sleep bug, which I was seeing. 
Uh, when the new iMac arrived, I had it settling um, on a desk, not the one I was working on. And um, the Wi-Fi was on. I didn't have a network cable. And every time it woke from sleep, um, it couldn't find its network. So that was something I was seeing. Wasn't a big issue for me because when I put it where it was going to live, I cabled it in with Cat6 and turned the Wi-Fi off. So it wasn't an issue. But I hope they have fixed that because it's been a long time, eight months to fix an issue like that. It's not good, is it? Not great, no. So have you done it yet? I haven't, no. Have you? You must be kidding. It's the night before I go live in a webinar. I am not doing anything ludicrous <laughs> like updating my operating system. No, and after the sound problems we had before we started recording, I don't blame you. Do you know, I was actually thinking as I was sitting there tonight, I could put it on the one in the studio. I'm glad I didn't, because <laughs> then I would have blamed that. Uh, no, no, that, that's a little treat for me for Friday, I think. I've down, I'm downloading it, so uh, it'll be there ready and waiting. Excellent. Uh, Shall we move on to the main topic for this show? Absolutely. Main course for the show. Yes, iBooks author. To me, it was like, and I've only had a quick look, but to me, it was like a, a Pages keynote combo, which I think was kinder than your description. Now, you, the MacBiters will be concerned as to what my description was. I said it was a mongrel. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sort of is, isn't it? Um, because you're creating pages, as in a book, um, rather than, mind you, some of the slides you bring home. Their documents in a presentation, aren't Let's they? Let's not go there. No, we better not. Um, it is a hybrid between the two because you've got quite flexible layout options as well. And if you can use Pages and or Keynote, I don't think you'll have too much of a problem with iBooks Author. No, it does look intuitive. I haven't had a, a, a deep look, but I've looked over your shoulder and uh, it does look intuitive. I make it look easy, do I? Yes. <laughs> I think, to be honest, it depends on your level of knowledge of iWork iWork itself has that same deceptiveness about it. To do basic things, it's really easy. But if you want to do something very specific with it, you might have to sort of hack a workaround to it. But to actually get going and create a workable iBook, it's definitely doable. Definitely. There's, um, from what I understand, there's, there's quite a number of different content types, aren't there? They call them widgets? Well, when it starts off, um, you are given... As with most iWork applications, you're given a choice of templates. So there's only six to choose from. I thought the templates were a little bit samey. Um, they do, they sort of look different, but when you actually delve into them, um, they're not actually that different. They've, they've got different fonts and different styles it's to them. It's just styles, really, isn't it? It is. It's not that they've not taken it as far as they could. Absolutely, they haven't. Um, so there's, there's opportunities there for, for people to build custom templates. When you've selected your template, then you get going in terms of creating chapters for it and sections for it. And then within those, you then use the content types that you're talking about. Obviously, you can put text in there. Um, it has nice text layout in terms of if you put more text in, then it will fit on the page that you're working with. It will automatically add however many pages you need. Having said that, that's all very well if you want the layout to be the same. So if you do want a consistent layout, which admittedly would work very well for textbooks, then it would probably work well. But if you want to go for something a little bit more flexible, then that might be annoying. Um, I have taken oh, probably about 10 days now and put this iBook together and there was some gotchas along the way and text was one of them. 
Um, another type you can use is images and you have different ways that you can handle images. You were talking about widgets or what you're talking about is the more interactive content, but you can just put images in. So if you just wanted to um, jazz up a textbook of some description or your book, then you can put images in. Um, they do. I think they work a lot better than Keynote. Keynote would benefit from some of the options you have in terms of flowing text around them, which is not in Keynote as yet. So the images are nice. And then you've got the more interactive stuff that you are talking about, which is video, audio, stuff like that. Is that what you mean? That's what I was talking about. Yeah, that's the sexy um, I've stuff. I've managed, I've managed to, I think, put virtually everything in the MacBytes iBook. Well, it's, it's showcasing, I've, isn't it? I've definitely got video in and I've definitely got audio in. The video and audio are both very picky regarding formats. Uh, you can create what looks like the correct format, so an M4A or an M4V, and it just won't work. So what you need to do, I wish there was a way when you try and drag and drop it in that it would convert it for you, but it doesn't. It just gives you a very curt message and says this isn't of the right format, so it wasn't in, in, <laughs> inserted, which isn't great when, when you know it's Apple that have QuickTime, so they could kickstart some kind of conversion process. It is a simple matter of opening up the audio and or video in QuickTime and then doing a save for iPhone, iPad and Apple TV. But it adds to the workflow. Um, I know I've been putting all sorts in there. So I've got a lot of audio clips. I've got a few videos, I think maybe four videos, that it does interrupt the flow what you're doing with, with this, it's more of an assembly program. So you're trying to put the text in, you're trying to put the images in, then you've got your videos, then you've got your audios. From a workflow perspective, from me, I didn't want to keep stopping and converting stuff. So with the video, I did, um, in the end, just do it with QuickTime because there wasn't too many of them. But audio, there was a lot more clips. So I thought, well, I'll try that um, application I mentioned last time, which is Professional Audio Converter because I had that pre-configured to create an M4A of the show. So I thought, well, I wonder if that format would be acceptable to it. So I put the audio file in and converted it, dragged and dropped it into iBooks Author, and it was quite happy with that. Now, the benefit of doing it that way rather than QuickTime is that you can batch process it and it also runs much faster. So I started doing that and batch processing them. But it did, it still slows you down the fact that you needed to. So that's audio and video. Um, it will also let you drag and drop keynote presentations in there, which I must admit I was a little bit sceptical about because um, we know what happens with keynote on my iPad, don't we? They resize, resize my, my slides. slides. Well, they didn't, luckily. All right, I make my slides a set size, which is 1280 by 720, because I can then make HD video of them. So I also use the slides within videos that I make. So it makes sense that the slides themselves are the same size as I want the video to be. But on an iPad, obviously, it's a totally different, um, it's 1024 by 768. So instead of just resizing them, which I could have lived with. If it had just squashed them down, I would have ended up with a black line at the top and bottom, and that would have been all right. But it didn't. It, it did worse than that. It started moving the content around. So I, I had reservations what it would do with my keynote presentation, but it worked perfectly. 
Um, I Obviously, I don't have any animations. I don't have any transitions. But what I did have, I could navigate backwards and forwards. There's a nice flick option where you can do like a zoom uh, as you would do on a trackpad. So fingers together and then push them apart. And the presentation goes full screen and does actually play perfectly, which proves my point. There's no need for Keynote to resize anything because iBooks Author shows it perfectly. So I thought that was a really nice feature. And I'm suspecting that one of your favourite features was the, uh, they call it review, but we called it the quiz. The quiz was was cool, and uh, I think the MacBiters will enjoy that. Yeah, we put two quizzes in uh, MacBytes the iBook. There's one about MacBytes and one about Apple. Um, and really, it's to showcase the different types of questions that you can ask in there. Um, obviously, there's the simple uh, choose uh, multiple from from a multiple choice thing. Uh, the default's four, but you can give up to six answers. So that one was first very basic. You can also then uh, there's two other types where you can have an image at the side or an image at the top. Those images were very interesting. They kept jumping around. Um, and then there's ones where there are four pictures as the answers, and they then go more interactive than that, where you can drag and drop things. They actually reminded me the more advanced ones of Microsoft exams. No, they reminded me of Pin the Tail on the Donkey. <laughs> well, it's the same thing, really. <laughs> In Microsoft exams, they used to give you um, a network. And then at the bottom of the screen, they would put like IP addresses or network names on it. And you had to literally, with your mouse, click one of the items and drag it up to the right place. So it was a bit like um, a kindergarten put three square pegs in round holes. <laughs> <laughs> really just hoping that everything works out. No, they did remind me of that. Um, it's amazing how more intuitive it feels doing it with your finger, though. The Definitely. touch aspect of it worked yeah. really well. Um, and like I say, I've done sort of exams like that for years with a mouse. And I don't know about you, but whenever I went to an exam centre, I always got the one with the dodgy mouse. Um, well, I used to work at an exam centre, so I used to be able to pick and choose. Oh, that's cheating. <laughs> I always got the rubbish one. So, um, yeah, I could imagine one day you'll be doing your exams on an iPad. I'm not I sure if that's a would. good thing or not. Mm. Mm, I shall ponder that. Um, I didn't put any 3D stuff in because I didn't have any 3D stuff to put in. We could do with a 3D model of MacBytes HQ. We could. Mm, well, I didn't have one, so I didn't use one. But uh, you can you put 3D in there. I like the gallery. Um, you put in this widget and you then add images to it. So if you had sort of 10 images of something, uh, it would take one page in your iBook and then you could display them so, so you can navigate at the bottom. And you get to decide what navigation is available as well. So the gallery option was quite nice. I think it would work well if you were making a portfolio type book um, rather than having one image per page. It really depends on, on the type of book you're creating. And I know it's intended to be textbooks, but when you've actually used it, you can see so many different um, areas that it has great potential in. Um, and the last type was dash code, which I didn't try, but it said HTML. So I had high hope it would import HTML, which but it, didn't. it didn't. Oh, boy, <laughs> did it not. It didn't like it at all, did it? No, it was. It would just paste it in as HTML replete with tags in all the wrong places. So I'd say importing text isn't as easy as it should be. What I wanted to do was take some show notes from the old show and just import them and they are in HTML format, I thought, well, I could copy and paste them from the web page, but I've actually got the plain HTML. One of the things was, though, if you, and of course, every self-respecting MacBiter is intimately familiar with the show notes. 
of aren't course. you? Yes. Mm. Well, there's lots of links in it. And what I didn't want to have to do was import the text and then go back and add the links later. Well, if the text that was coming in was actually a link, so sometimes we, we put sort of, you know, apple.com slash whatever. That came in and that was a link. But if the link was attached to some standard text, it didn't. Um, it was dreadful. So I said to you, well, surely you could take this into pages instead. So what I needed was an application on the desktop that could understand HTML and turn it into pretty much a standard word process document. Pages didn't like it either. And this is the kind of thing that you don't actually try until you need it. And then when you need it, it doesn't work. So I then said, well, how about Office? And you tried it with uh, Office 2011 for Mac. That didn't like it any better, did it? No. No. And neither did Office for Windows. So at this stage, I'm thinking, no, I won't give up. I ended up taking it to NeoOffice, which handled it very nicely. Then I had to take it from there to LibreOffice to export it in a different format. And from there into Pages, and finally from Pages into iBooks Author, which was a bit of a workflow too far, I thought. So um, I left that alone. But if there was a lot of text and it was HTML and you needed to take it in, then that workflow would work. But I'd like to see Apple do something far easier for people to um, handle that with. It's funny that when I when I installed Office 2011, I actually dumped um, Quick Office, not Quick Office, LibreOffice and NeoOffice. Um, but you actually need them, don't you, for odds and sods? Well, they're just slightly different. Yeah. Um, I was using NeoOffice because it had a view that when you went full screen with your slides, it didn't black out the other monitor. I think it's a crime that all the Office applications, and now they've fixed it, which for me has broken it, um, that the screen does dim out. It seems ridiculous with the number of people doing online presentations that there isn't an option to leave the secondary monitor alone. Mm. Because if it dims out or you have your presenter's notes on it, you are completely disjointed from your audience. Totally you don't even agree. know if your connection's still there. And people do complain if you present. I mean, not that I would ever do this. I couldn't believe this when you said that people did it. But people do present, don't they, in, in slide sort of view, in yeah. creation view. But that's probably why. Because if they go full screen with it, and I think all the times you've mentioned that, it has been an online webinar. Yes, you're right. So if you do go full screen with it, you have no idea what's going on. No idea at all. You can't see the chat. You can't see your connection. You can't see people coming and going. You can't see any notes that you may have there. You're just working blind. So I think that's why people do tend to present that way. I have been forced to do it once that way. And what I did was hide all the toolbars and went sort of full screen with it, you know, fake full screen with it. So it didn't look quite so bad. But there's no way that I would want to do that. So obviously I, I've created a workaround for myself. That's why I have so many different Office applications on there. They are all just slightly different enough that they come in handy in circumstances. Because there's no way when I got to this circumstance, I'd be thinking, well, I know, I'll go and download LibreOffice and I'll try it. If, if it's there, I'll try it. If it's not, I probably won't. So if I were you, I'd put them back on. Yeah, I think I will. But uh, getting back to iBooks Author, you know, a lot of people, I think, think it's, it's a creation tool, but it's not really, is it? 
No, I think the text in most cases would already be written elsewhere. To me, it's an assembly tool. Um, I agree with you. I think people will create in it, but it's not the best tool for creation. Something like Scrivener would be far better. That is really, it's more of a, well, it's research on steroids, isn't it? Yeah. It really does help you write, Scrivener does, and research and keep everything all together. Um, there are workflows to take out of Scrivener and take into iBooks Author that are already coming out. So I think in the future, there'll, there'll probably be a much better workflow between the two. But if you're doing that, what you're bringing out from Scrivener is probably going to be the text. You're still going to have to go into iBooks Author and then assemble the rest of it. You can't put your video in Scrivener and then expect it to appear just where you want it to appear because it, it has to be in some kind of flow. So really, it's an assembly tool, as far as I can see. You've also got the um, problem of working with different people. So definitely an assembly tool. And, and to be honest, for a, a solo workflow, I would think. Yeah. Now, it's not the only kid on the block, though, is it? No, and people were ooh, pretty quick to compare with Adobe. Actually, you know, you know my, my mixed Twitter feed. <laughs> yeah. Um, the day it came out, it was really funny. The Apple people were delirious. And I actually saw two of my Adobe people who, who tweeted to the effect of, and this was virtually verbatim, there's a new e-publishing app out today, but I've got my fingers in my ear. La, 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 it's not in design. <laughs> I thought, oh, that's really helpful. So, um, yeah, the Adobe lot weren't happy. The Apple lot were delirious. Adobe lot, not happy. Yes, they have a product called the e-publishing suite which is not free. It's not um, cheap either. <laughs> no, it's not. It's so complicated. Um, I have no idea what to tell you about it. Um, it use, it's based on InDesign, but there are different editions. So you have a single edition and then you have a professional edition and then you have an enterprise edition. The enterprise edition must be so expensive. There isn't even a price. When you look at the pricing guide, it says ring for a quotation, which always concerns me. Whatever company needs me to ring for a quotation, that does worry me. I don't think you can legitimately compare the two because the e-publishing suite, it's a complete suite of applications for creating any type of electronic document. I think the comparisons show a complete lack of understanding of a professional collaborative workflow. With InDesign, you can pretty much do anything you want. You also have InCopy, which is um, a sort of sidecar application, which concentrates on the text and provides you with collaborative working for InDesign. And then on the top of that, you've got all the other tools that will then take your work and convert it to something iPad compatible. But it's for a professional publishing workflow. And there's no way that you could say that iBooks Author can stand up to that at a Revision 1 product which is a desktop tool. There, there just isn't. But of course, it's Apple and Adobe. So you know what happened. All the fanboys were squaring up to each other. <laughs> Mine's better say, than yours. Scrap, scrap, scrap. I'm afraid so. But the two just can't be compared. iBooks Author is certainly going to be used because it's there and it's free. And there is a mechanism in place straight away to monetize your content. Um, yes, we all know about the 30%. You can't sell it anywhere else. But then the product is free. Um, the Adobe product is so expensive, but there is still an element in the Adobe product of uh, 
them charging for your distribution or according to your distribution. So they actually brought out um, a cheaper version only two months ago, which came about because it was a great product for people to create interactive iPad publications, but it was just far too expensive for entry level. So they brought out the single edition for entry level, but it's still not cheap. So I can definitely see people running to iBooks author and even just giving it a go. And I think some will stick with it. Absolutely. But there are some gotchas, aren't there? There always are, aren't there? Yes. Well, there's no collaborative workflow at all, um, as I found when I said to you, well, you do me some text. The best you could do is you create it in a file of your own, an iBooks author file of your own, pass that over to me, and then I copy and paste the stuff out. Fiddly, but... That's not a collaborative workflow to me, Um, but that's, that's as good as it got in terms of working together. I suppose you'd have to do what we did in the end, which was pass images around, pass text files around, but then you've got version control to think about and everything. So to all the Apple fanboys there who are saying it's free, it's fabulous, it's better than Adobe... It is for your needs, but it's in no way enterprise level. There's no way you could work like that in an enterprise situation. Um, There's no track changes either, which I'm not a big fan of in uh, Word. It was Word that had that, wasn't it? It was Word. I'm not a big fan of it, but I know a lot of people where I work use it. I'm, I'm always amazed when people use that because I find it so odd. (laughs) And that's the best term I can come up with. It's odd. If you take a document and you send it to person A and they make some changes and they send the same document on to person B, then fine, it'll work. If you send that document to person A and person B and they both make changes, there's no way that those changes are both coming back to you, is there? Yeah. Is there? Yeah. There wasn't in in, in the last time I looked at it, I'm afraid. No. Ah, well, well, maybe they fixed that then. No, I I found it, it would lose changes. Um... Can you now step back? Say you wanted to to add back a change from 10 steps ago, or do you have to go back through all 10 steps? Probably have to go back through all 10 steps. Mm, This is where it starts to go wrong. I just wasn't a fan of it. I really wasn't. Um, And there, there is no track changes, which would be nice if you're going to hand off the file you're working with. Um, The other thing that really slowed me down was there was no comments. Now, I don't mean comments where I'd put a comment in and then pass that off to somebody else. I might just want to put a comment on the page to myself. So the comments come in, they look like post-it notes. And I use that quite a lot in Keynote. Um, It could just be that I put um, the font that I've used or something like that. And there was, I thought that you've got to be able to insert a comment just to leave notes to yourself. But there wasn't. Now, in Keynote, there was a problem with an older version of Keynote that if you put a comment on it, on a post-it note, on your slide, um, when you presented your slide, the post-it note appeared, which I thought was ridiculous. They then fixed that. But then the problem remained that if it wasn't then showing when you presented, which was exactly what I wanted. But I never quite trusted it again. It had bit. It had lost my faith, I'm afraid. But then the next problem was when you came to export your slides as graphics, which I do, um, the post-it note appeared over the top. Now, to me, that's metadata and there should be an option whether I want it exported or not. So I, I 
I do use them, but in Keynote, you could, of course, use the presenter's notes. So you could put notes to yourself in there or notes about the slide, things you've got to do with the slide. You could put them in the presenter's notes. There is nowhere here to put any comments or notes to yourself at all, which slowed me down a bit. Um, luckily, I'd elected to use page numbers, so I could refer to the page number and make a note to myself. But I don't think I should need a pad of post-it notes on the desk for something like that. So I hope they add something like that in. You then made a point that one of the gotchas was you needed a Mac. Yeah, well, you yeah, do. I, I thought that, that was a given. <laughs> <laughs> That's Apple. Yeah, yes, the software's free, but you're going to need a Mac to use it. And an iPad to preview it. And an iPad to preview it, indeed. Um, so, yes, but I, th I just think that's a given. I, I have heard questions of, would they make a version for Windows? Yeah, I'd, right. I don't think so, because they never have for iWork. And I thought that was a good idea. But then what they did, I suppose, was they made a version of iWork for the iPad. And we know lots of Windows users who have an iPad. Mm, true. So they don't really need to make Windows software anymore. Just make a version for the iPad, and it would have the same Halo effect. Um, one of the problems I found was the page size. Now, the page size is obviously iPad-sized. And the reason that was a problem for me was copying and pasting stuff into it. Um, and the fact that my slides don't match up with that size. So I could bring assets in, um, copy and paste them, but then I had to move them around. So I pretty much had images that were slightly bigger than the page size. And what I was finding was, as I was working on a page, the image from another page was hanging off that other page. Now, you couldn't see it on the page I was working on, but I'd, I'd clicked to maybe edit text and it didn't select it. And eventually I twigged what was going on, which was the image of the second page, the part of it that was hidden, even though I'd said send to back, it had sent it to the back on the page that the image was on, but on the page next to it, it sits across the top. So pretty much if I had something underneath that image, I couldn't edit it. So I had to go to the page with the image on, cut the image, go back, make the change and then paste the thing back, which I thought was ridiculous. There's nothing, there's no reason why something on the second page should be affecting the first page when it just shouldn't. There's just no way. So I think that's a bit of a problem with it. Sounds it sounds sounded a, a convoluted workaround as well. I tried grouping the stuff together. I tried all sorts. Um, and what I ended up doing, because I had two pages next to each other, one with this image that was a little bit too big, so it was hanging off the end. I could have cropped it and stuff, but then the problem is, if you want to just move it slightly, then you'd have to go back and re-edit it. So I left it grouped, and what I did to get around it was insert an extra page between the two. So I had this image hanging over a blank page, and then I could edit on the other one and then take the page away later. But it's all just, you know annoyances to work round stuff that shouldn't be there in the first place. I actually thought the templates were pretty limited, which I've, I've already said that they were, they were a bit samey. You could do so much. Um, one of the problems I had was with fonts. That was um, entertaining, wasn't it? When the preview worked, the page didn't. Yeah. I'd got this um, item, well, a collection of items from Keynote, which I copied and pasted in and it looked great in iBooks Author. And um, it looked all right. The thumbnail looked all right on the iPad. But when you actually went to the page, it looked all right initially. It was a very thin font and it looked fine. And then all of a sudden it twanged to be a sort of largest chunky font. So I figured that um, it had limited font support, which it does. So 
it, you, it is limited to the fonts you have on your iPad. So you won't be doing anything overtly fancy unless you convert them to graphics first. So for what I was actually doing, it was a poster and it had the, the title of a webinar down the side. I was able to take that font because the way Keynote works, it works in vectors. I could take the font, the, the, what I typed up and the style and the fact it had a drop shadow on it and just copy the whole thing, go to Illustrator, paste it in, save it out as a graphic. Now, you might be thinking, why didn't you just save it out from Keynote as a graphic? I can save out from Keynote as a graphic, but it would have a background colour. It would be white. There's no way I can save anything from Keynote um, and it be transparent. Yes, I could try and knock it out, but I just said this thing had drop shadow on it and I would have been there all day. So no, it needed to go through Illustrator, which again, workflow wise, it slows you down completely slows you down and that was just because it doesn't support as many fonts so more fonts would be nice one of the things I found absolutely crazy and I said to you it must be able to do it you google it while I go through the menu because it must do it um, put graphic in just a standard graphic not using the widgets or anything just a standard graphic and put a link to a website that's not rocket science, is it? It's not. HTML's been able to do that since the year dot. You can't do it. It doesn't link from graphics. It only links from text. Well, you know me. I wasn't about to leave it there, was I? No. Oh, no. I decided I, it was going to do it, whether it liked it or not. And I have a workaround that's a bit clunky, but it works. So um, in iBooks Author, if you go to the outtakes page... No, not iBooks author. In our, the Mac bites the iBook. If you go to the page in the outtakes, I think it's the very first outtake for the Mac user group. It was one of your classics. Oh, yes. I when remember. you forgot where the meeting was. Yes. There is a big logo. It's a maroon colour and it says NW Mug on it. If you tap on there, there's a link on it. Yes. I, I beat it into submission. Uh, I should have a competition to get people to work out how I did that. <laughs> but I shall show you in the webinar tomorrow. Well, actually, it's later today, isn't it? It's dragged on that much. Anyway, yes, so there was that as well. Um, linking from graphics. Why? Why can you not do that? I suppose they're thinking that a graphic in a textbook, you wouldn't. But you couldn't even link from the graphic to another location in the textbook which does seem odd. Maybe they'll add that, maybe they won't. Uh, another problem was when I got this Illustrator file, I thought, well, I'll just drag and drop it in. I'll drag and drop the Illustrator file in. And when I did, the colours went crazy, which is a problem with vector graphics. So I couldn't do that either. So I had to export everything as PNGs. And then when we were testing it, we found a great problem, didn't we? The, um, the, the, text, the text issue. The text issue with the URL, yeah. We put in a URL for the MacBytes feed um, and you'd need that if you wanted to subscribe via one of the podcatchers that are on iOS. So I thought, what better place to put it than in the iBook that you'd be looking at, oh, on your iPad. Well, it put it in as a link, which was fine, but when you clicked it, it just opened it up in Safari. So what we were looking for was a way to, to copy that URL. So I said, well, I'll take it away. I won't make it a link. They can just copy it. You can't copy text of any shape, form or description, which I can understand not copying big chunks of it. But, you know, couldn't you just let us copy a line? Because, no, as soon as you tap on it, you can highlight it. Um, and what else can you do? Highlight it. I don't know. Uh, highlight it and highlight it. 
No, there was highlighting. There was, there was a couple of other things, you know, like look up or something like that. But copying wasn't an option. So that curtailed me somewhat. So there is a link in there that will link directly to Mapbytes feed. But what you would have to do is click it, get it into Safari and then copy it from the URL bar. So not perfect. It would be nice to have a copy button if it was relevant for something like that. Um, and while we talk about URLs, I was putting URLs in um, all over the place. And you have to add it via this dialog box, which is very convoluted. So I added a shortcut key for that. But the URL, there is a default URL which goes to Apple's homepage. It constantly twanged back to it. So I'd paste in a URL, I'd press enter, and the screen would like flicker fractionally, and then it would go back to the Apple URL. So if I put one of these URLs in once, I must have put it in five times. Eventually, you've tested it. They're all right, aren't they? They're all right but at it, the moment, yes. They're all right at the moment. So I'm leaving them alone. Um, it's just, just an annoyance. I mean, it's a version one product, so um, I'm sure they'll fix it. I found personally having to have the iPad tethered to the machine very annoying. Luckily, I've got a six foot long cable. Um, but I was having USB hub problems. So Wi-Fi transfer to iPad for proofing would have been a great benefit. I think I can understand why they're doing it, but it's very annoying. Um, and, and then, of course, when I wanted to put it on yours for you to test, we had to move mine, put yours on, transfer it to yours, give you back your iPad. So again, collaborative working, terrible, terrible workflow. Um, yeah, we talked about the, the import options being limited. They are, they're, they're very limited. I noticed odd things as well, like when you rotate an image just fractionally, so I'm not talking about turning it, you know, 90 degrees, just rotate it so, so it looks a bit, a bit more interesting. Um, the quality seems to suffer greatly, uh, really badly. And if you put one of the frames on it, it goes quite jagged at the edge. So they probably need to work on that a bit as well. The worst thing of all, to be honest, and it really threw me, and it takes us back to the natural scrolling that we talked about. I was putting some interactive images in, and interactive images are where you have an image in the background, and then overlaying it on the top, you have little text blocks that are pointing out part of the image. So we've got some behind the scenes from Upbytes headquarters images, and they're all annotated with these little notes. So um, what you can do is, when you are adding a note and you've added some text to it, you can set the view. So when you're looking at it on an iPad, you tap the note and it zooms you into a set part of the image. And that part of the image it zooms you into is set in iBooks Author. So you get the opportunity to define where it zooms into. And I thought I was going mad. It actually has non-natural scrolling just in the interactive images. So with the whole of the, the rest of the product, you know, you scroll one way and it goes one way, you scroll the other, it goes the other way. It does it reversed in interactive images. So I found that very, very difficult. I'm going up and it's going down and I'm thinking, ah, and in the end I thought, no, am I doing this wrong? Is it me or is it it? And no, it was it. I'm wondering if they've been working on this product that long that they'd done that bit and they'd forgotten to make it natural scrolling. <laughs> it does sound like it. It's really, really annoying. It's more annoying than you would imagine. Because at the same time, you've got these images 
adjusting themselves in a most unfortunate manner. Um, they they go too big and you then have to try and um, squash them down. But when you click on the um, edit mask button, you can't take the mask down any further. So then you, the best thing you can do is delete the image and add it again. So you add that to the fact that you're scrolling the wrong way and it just feels really clunky. It isn't as clunky as it feels, but it does feel that way. So um, there are a lot of gotchas, but they will get there in the end. And like I said, I don't think um, it would be a fair comparison to compare it with other more enterprise level products. But I'm sure people will, can't help themselves, can they? No, but to me, it's, it's a good starting point. Like, like you said throughout that review, it's a, it's a version one. It's got me onto Lion and... Um Com compared to writing a manual, because we've both done a lot of manual writing over the years, compared to writing a manual um, in terms of duration, quicker? Well, mm, when, I'm writing, when I was writing a manual, um, I have taken on silly writing jobs, like writing a 300-page manual in three weeks. <laughs> that was probably the worst. Um, oh, it was an uphill battle. I would have thought writing this one would have taken a lot longer because of the assets. But to be honest, it didn't. I'd say it's comparable. Um, but it would be quicker to just write a manual in it. So if you're just going to put in screenshots, you've got no audio to convert, no video. I mean, the, the time frame I'm talking about here, I actually recorded the audio, I edited the audio, um, I processed the audio, I did the video, I did all of that in the same length of time it would have taken me to write just a standard manual. So um, I would say it's really comparable and, and quite fun if you can get over the foibles along the way. Excellent. You'll enjoy it when you try yes, it. Yes, I, int I intend to try it. I've got uh, a couple of ideas that I want to try. But uh, yeah, thanks for that. Excellent. But now it's time for Mac Love Bites. Oh, very good. Yes, we heard from Simon this week, who has a new tech toy. So without further ado, over to you, Simon. Hello, Elaine, Mike and the Mac Bites crew. It's Simon Bainbridge here. Um, just wanted to come with you with a Mac Love Bite. My Mac Love Bite this month is my new slash used MacBook. Um, a little bit background on the story. Um, I used to have an old early 2007 Mac Mini, which was starting to get a little bit dated. It still worked fine and completed most tasks quickly, um, but the graphics card was slightly underpowered when creating and rendering video or editing photos. The memory was limited to 2 gigs as well, which was also a limit, or the 3 gigs actual if you have a look on the Mac Tracker, but that still wasn't really enough for most tasks nowadays. Um, I also needed to be mobile now with a Mac. Um, I'm now integrating a lot more iPads in my schools, which I look after. Also wanted to do a lot more work on my Mac on the road, so around a friend's or in a coffee shop or whatever. Um, just to let you know, also, um, I've found out since using my new MacBook that um, it's great using it in Starbucks. I was able to Skype, a video Skype um, chat with somebody the other day um, over the Wi-Fi in Starbucks, and it worked absolutely perfect, which I was quite shocked with, because I didn't think they'd have that decent uh, Wi-Fi in a, a place such as Starbucks, but they did, so it was an, a nice surprise for myself. So I just thought I'd let you all know that. Um, why I chose the early 2008 MacBook as my new, my new slash used MacBook. I couldn't afford to buy a brand new MacBook Pro or MacBook Air. Um, they're just 
am slightly out of my price range at the moment. I did look at one to two year old MacBook Airs and MacBooks and MacBook Pros, but they're still going for ridiculous amounts. Um, normally only like two to three hundred pounds less than their brand new price. And you can normally get on the refurb store one that's priced about the same. So I don't know why people don't do that rather than buying them for a couple of hundred cheaper on eBay. But that's what they were going for, Sam. Um, Apple stuff does seem to hold its money. Um, another thing was I just sold my Mac Mini before buying this MacBook. And it's a two, as I said, I bought it in March 2007 for £367, including the Apple education discount that I was allowed to do because I work in education. Um, so I bought it for 367 and sold it for 255 which I think over the past about just over four years, four or five years, was... Um, really really good value for money um that i've got out of that mac mini um macs just seem to even though they cost a lot more the total cost of ownership over the time of you having them seems to be a lot less than the cost of ownership of having a pc where if i bought a pc of the same spec in 2007 i wouldn't be expecting to get hardly anything for it now if if i did it'd be something like 30 or 40 quid that i'd expect to get so I decided to go for a 2008 MacBook because um, they seem to be going more in my price range. I did look at the uh, the unibody MacBook, the first unibody MacBook before they became a MacBook Pro. That They'd done one in October 2008. It came out, the aluminium MacBook, but a decent one of them on eBay going in good condition where it had been looked after. It's going for more £500 and I only had just over £400 to spend. So I found this one that said that it was in immaculate condition and it was an early 2008 white MacBook, 2.4 gigahertz, which was the faster of the two processors that they sold at the time, and it had two gigs of RAM. Um, it came um, a couple of a couple of days after I'd bought it, and it was in exactly the same condition as she had said. I was always a little bit speculative that things are never exactly how the seller said. But the seller said it was in immaculate condition, and it was in immaculate condition. There was not a scratch on it anywhere. It had obviously been looked after really, really well. Um, the seller had kept it in um, covered in um, a plastic film all over, front and back and around the keyboard and that. Even had a keyboard cover, which I won't use. Um, but they had a keyboard cover where you could actually type over the top of the cover. But I like the actual feel of the macbook's keys um, for typing but yeah it's in absolutely pristine condition i was expecting it to be a little bit faster than my mac mini um because it's got even though it's got the same amount of ram and the ram's at the same speed it has got a lot faster um processor in it and it's also got a lot faster and powerfuller um onboard graphics but it is ridiculously faster um, it feels like it's at least 10 times faster than my old Mac Mini. My Mac Mini never felt a total slouch. It was just getting um, difficult when it was doing um, really memory-intensive tasks like um, video editing and photo editing. Um, video editing and photo editing on this isn't amazing, but it's, uh, as I said, it feels like 10 times faster than the old machine, and it's very adequate for what it's needing um, I was expecting as soon as I got it that I'd want to upgrade that 2 gigs of RAM. But at the moment it seems enough for what I'm doing at the moment. Um, in the near future, no doubt, I'll 
have to upgrade it. Um, that would probably be my first upgrade. I'll probably upgrade it firstly to 4 gigs of RAM from the 2 gigs that's already in there. It can go up to 6 gigs of RAM, which I'll do at a later point where I'll buy an extra um, 6 gig stick. But at the moment they're going for £63 and it's only just over £30 to go up to the 4 gig. So I'll probably wait a little while. I'll probably put the 4 gig in first, use that for a little while and then upgrade it in the near future again um, up to the 6 gigs. Um, the other things that I'll be doing in the near future to it is um, waiting a year or two and then hopefully SSDs would have come down in value and I'll put an SSD in there, probably a 128 gigabyte one or a 256 gigabyte one. Um, also I'll buy one of those OptiBay bays that you can put in there that replace where the optical drive is because I don't really use the optical drive. And I can always take that out and they sell an enclosure for you to put it in. I can have that enclosure in my bag if I ever do desperately need to use a DVD with my MacBook. But that will give me the, the choice of being able to put either another SSD or what I'll probably do is put a 1 or 2 terabyte um, spinning disk in there, 7200 RPM spinning disk. Which will then give me loads of storage and the speed as, as a SSD for my boot disk. And this will probably then, I'm hoping that this will last me the next three or four years um, until I can afford to buy a brand new MacBook Pro. And I'm hoping maybe by then there'll be the MacBook 15-inch MacBook Airs out by then if they ever do come out with one of them. I think that would probably be the most ideal um, computer for me. Um, something that's very mobile but still very powerful but very light and able to be taken around everywhere with me. So that's hoping for the future. So I have to start saving my pennies for that. But before then, I'll be saving my pennies to upgrade this one. But I've been amazed with how great this is. I'm, amaz I'm always amazed with MacBooks, how they go in and out of sleep from being a PC user and, ha and having laptops that struggle to go in and out of sleep. It's great that I just literally just shut the lid, go straight to sleep, open up lid, and within a couple of seconds, it's there and it's ready to use. Um, it's just been, uh, it's just been the best four hundred and eleven pounds, which is what I bought it for that I've ever spent, and um, it's really increased my enjoyment of using um, OS X and using Apple products, and I'm looking forward to um, creating loads of stuff on it in the very near future. So this is Simon Bainbridge from iTechCast.co.uk signing out. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for that, Simon. That sounds um, excellent. It certainly does, and I like your upgrade plan because uh, they tend to keep their value, don't they, those uh, machines? Yeah, well, that's what Simon was saying. I always find they keep their value better when you're trying to buy than they do when you're trying to sell, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> no, that's just life. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, that's um, an excellent plan, a, a gradual upgrade. Yeah. So you'll end up with a fabulous machine, although I must admit, 15-inch MacBook Air... Mm. No, actually, I'm thinking about the 11. The Are you really? Uh, oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> <clears throat> well, thinking about isn't buying, is it? Mm. It's not far off here, True. but it's not bad. No, I like your idea with the SSD. That that will greatly improve your experience. Um, I had to reboot my machine today. Um, this was the Daleks scenario. I must play that clip. Um, 
and it seemed to take forever and I thought I didn't remember this being that slow but then I remembered that I've been rebooting with an SSD and it literally boots in seconds so I think that's a great upgrade for um, a laptop absolutely and the OptiBay yes I don't I can't see me going for that but I must admit I don't think I've put even one CD or DVD in my new machine I'm not even convinced the DVD's working because I just don't use them anymore not even for backup you know what this means, don't you? No. Steve was right. Yes. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> because I wanted Blu-ray on my iMac, do you remember? Uh, I do. Yes. I'm not going to buy one until you put Blu-ray on it, but yeah, Steve was Never right. Never heard the end but, of it, did I? Mm, no, no, you didn't. Well, I have got a Blu-ray. I have an external Blu-ray, and I, I, I have made backups to it, especially at the moment because the price of hard drives are so expensive. But um, long term... I, I think an OptiBay could be the way forward. I wonder what I could um, take out and put in my iMac. No, I'd have to take the glass off the front so I won't bother. But I like Simon's plan. Maybe I could do that with my old laptop. That's getting older by the minute. It's six years old, you know. Is it? Mm, I definitely deserve that 11-inch MacBook Air, don't I? You do. I'm glad you come around to my way of thinking. <laughs> so without further ado, on to feedback and comments before Mike changes his mind. Yes, we've heard from quite a few people, haven't we? We have, um, because last week we, we didn't have time for feedback and comments. So we've got copious feedback and comments this week. The first one was from uh, McJim, and he said, uh, I'm on. I've got a new magic trackpad, and it's just bra. Your Scottish accent's dreadful. I think mm. we should insist that McJim graces us with his Scottish brogue. There's no flush on my website, mon I. Blowing McJim's mind of late, too. <laughs> No, I put that, that we had been blowing McJim's mind of late. Ah. It was the lesbian movies, vibrating things yes. and confessions from the bedroom that did it. Although, the one. I don't remember being speechless. No, he's also asking what a shower is. Uh, no, I, well, it, that was the MacBytes live shower. That was Jane and Mark. It was nothing to do with me. <laughs> I was on my best behaviour. Anyway, mm. it's always good to hear from McJim. And we also heard from Ian um, Schweeper on Twitter from Digital Outbox, who was catching up with a Christmas podcast and said that he did have a credit card on his iTunes account, but the iTunes match payment came from voucher credit that was already in the account and not direct from the card. So he says he's assuming, probably wrongly, that if the account's in credit... Uh, and what that will always be used ahead of charging the credit card. And then says, loving the podcast, keep up the good work. That's what I'd expect to happen. But I don't know whether they're insisting that the credit card is there, even if they don't use it. I've certainly had people tell me that they can't sign up, even if they've got voucher credit, unless the credit card is there. But I think they, certainly from my experience, when I've inadvertently found my credit cards being added to it again, that they do take the voucher credit first. Maybe it just has to be there, which begs the question, what happens if you then take it away after you've done it? Because then, unless you're in credit at the point of renewal, it wouldn't renew. Oh, this is so complicated, isn't it? It's a minefield. I haven't bothered with iTunes much yet. I thought I needed a faster broadband before I venture in there. Definitely. I'm thinking, how big was my iTunes thing again? Was it? Uh, let's not yeah. go there. Mm. And, and of course, with, with half your collection in there as well, I can't see the Goombays featuring big on <laughs> iTunes much. No, we oh, should, you never know. We should leave it alone. We should leave it alone. Strategy Peter, he contacted us well as well. He's uh, come up with a little poem. No, no, that was mine. Was that yours? That was mine, yes, on Christmas Eve. We put a shot on Christmas Eve. And I, um, I tweeted as MacBytes, we've made a list, we've checked it twice. 
We found out who's been naughty or nice, and guess what? There's a new map bites coming to town. And strategy, Peter, got panicky and said, I'm on the nice side of that list, aren't I? Right, right, desperate for approval. Now, you see, he was approved of that day. But since then, fallen into delinquency again. Mm. But just tonight has confirmed he's up to date. So, God. Peter, now with 64, you're behind again. <laughs> got to love it, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> we also heard from Jonathan, Jonathan Isaacs. And um, this again was uh, to do with the Christmas show and says, oh, this is the best Christmas present I could want. Matt Bites is my favourite podcast of all time. Aww. He's very wise, is Jonathan, have you noticed? Yes. Very, very wise, Jonathan. Yes. Uh, we also um, kept Andy, Andy Fisher, entertained on his way to Ipswich. Ipswich. I've never been to Ipswich, you know. But apparently Andy wasn't looking forward to going. And um, he had us on his car stereo, keeping him amused. So we're happy to have been of assistance there. And um, the Magbites Listening Marathon. Yes. Minster and Jane racing each other. Well, um, th this is a series of tweets that I kept for posterity, so Minster won't know about these. But this was how his Listening Marathon went in the very early days. Uh, and he's tweeted four or five times here, so, so follow this thread. Oh, I'm in shock and need first aid. I'm listening to episode eight, and at Thomas Mike is in the Apple store and says he's not interested in the iPhone. Yes, I thought that was a bit odd as well. He then comes back, U-turn alert, U-turn alert, episode nine, and at Thomas Mike wants an iPhone. Didn't take long, did it? I don't remember you saying you didn't want one. It's I a good job either. Minster's there, filling me in. But then again, alert, alert, episode 10. At Elaine Giles and at Thomas Mike no longer want an iPhone. They need one. <laughs> now that's more like it. That sounds a lot more like me. Um, and then he moves forward to episode 13 and says, double take, did I hear right? At Elaine Giles in episode 13 was playing games on her new iPhone 3G. Cro-Mag Rally. Minster. It, that was true. That was true. And it was all because we were in the store for seven hours. I was trying you to take... something to do. Exactly. I was trying to take my mind off needing the, the, to uh, partake of the facilities, which if you needed to, you lost your place in the queue. So um, I, I was playing Chromag Rally, but it wasn't on my phone. It was on somebody else's. But I must admit, I did then partake and I purchased Chromag Rally. I'm useless at it, but it's still there to this day. So, absolutely. And um, then McJim, part two. Shall I do this one? I think you should. I can't do the accent. And I don't think you should either. You'll be arrested for causing offence north of the border. Yes, it, well, you do it. You do it. I, Elaine, you were talking about colour schema and you were saying that you'd like something that would make it easier to work with colour swatches. Well, have you tried the Flexiglass app available through the App Store? It lets you adjust application window to sit at one side of the screen whilst working on another window have a look and see what you think i the real mcjim now i haven't had a chance to try out flexiglass yet but i have seen it have heard of it and it seems to be very very similar to one of my favorites moom so i will have another look at flexiglass but i think moom does exactly the same thing so um watch this space on that one and now uh, we heard from Kirshen as well, who said she loved episode 62. That was the Christmas one, wasn't it? I think it was. I think so. Yes. And, but now wanted to know about 
Now about your Atelier Jar's encounter with frozen peas, do tell. We've not got time, have we? No, we'll save that for another episode. We'll save that for another episode. But we will one day get round to it. But just one point. They weren't frozen, were they? They were tinned. Tinned are more dangerous, I find. So, yes, we'll be back with that in a future episode. We also heard from uh, Kevin. Big in VA. Love that username. Uh, And it gave us both a laugh as well. Uh, He tweeted and said, just listen to Matt Bite 61 and began laughing so hard when at Thomas Mike and Attie Lay and Giles were discussing lying in bed that I almost crashed my truck. Yes, um, I think that's something that uh, McJim and Minster can sympathise with him with. Um, Minster and his extreme cycling. Minster assures me that it can't be too dangerous, but um, I think it could be. One day, one day, Minster, we'll get you. We also heard from James from the States this week as well, didn't we? We did, yes. He said, uh, Elaine and Mike, Matt Bites episode 63 was fantastic, very informative and well done. Though I'm afraid that the more I hear about Lion, the less likely I am to upgrade to it. <laughs> and after listening to this episode, it's probably even less likely. <laughs> oh, but last seen downgrading <laughs> to Tiger. Yes, I may be stuck on Snow Leopard for a long time to come. As for your Mr. Clarkson, he's pure genius. Top Gear is the best show on TV, of course. I'm in the US and pretty much everything here is... Can I say this word? I'll beep it out. Carry on. (laughs) They'll get the gist. (laughs) Thank you for another great podcast, even though I'm sad Mike is not the stig. Yes, I got a lot of abuse for saying that I don't watch Top Gear. I didn't get half as much. Mm, But I don't watch it. Ah, but I I did this week. I did change your wallpaper to Jeremy Clarkson. Yes. Well, I thought it was funny. Oh, right. Mm, never mind. Okay. Anyway, this stig business. It's not stig of the dump, is it? <laughs> no. No. Don't you know who the stig is? Of course. Good. You'll be very impressed. I know exactly who the stig is. He's the guy in the white suit, helmet, dark visor, who put the Intel chip in, Max. That's the one. Mm, I'll get away with that, won't I? I thought that was Kiefer. They look similar. Oh, don't, <laughs> now don't distract me talking about eye candy anyway on to events and um yes the the ibook author event the event of the book of the podcast you don't want to miss it but um it's going to be pretty short notice given the time it is now and the fact i've got to edit this before tonight it's going to be all within a few hours but yes we have an event where i'll be showing you how i made the um book of the podcast so uh, it's the 2nd of february 8 p.m uk time and hope you can join us. If not, video will be available later. And you can, of course, always download the iBook of the podcast with the event. You certainly can. Mm, yes, it, it'll all it all disappear up his own exhaust pipe, won't it? Mm, I don't know. Get on with it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we've. That's it, isn't it? That's it for this episode. Oh, that was so professionally done. <laughs> Shall I say that again? Oh, I know. Yeah, that's it for this episode of Matt Bites. As always, we'd love to hear from you, so send us your questions, your comments and your queries to macbytesuk at gmail.com. You can use the contact form on the website or you could send us an audio file. We've not had one for a few weeks. Leave us a comment on the show notes at macbytes.co.uk and don't forget to send us your Mac love bites. And like us on Facebook. 
Sign up for the newsletter at macbytes.co.uk and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash macbytes. Follow me at twitter.com slash thomasmike. And you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. So until the next time, this has been uh, Mike and Elaine bringing you Macbytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. Poor Siri. I was just thinking... Didn't get a look in. I was just thinking that. No Siri this week. No wonder my tea was, was undrinkable. We shall make allowances next time. Siri can do the whole show. Yes. Be careful what you suggest. The MacBiters might prefer me to you guys. Ignore these two and follow me at twitter.com slash MacBitesSiri.